This is Fogland Lighthouse. I'm Jack Dean. Once there was a hill, the smallest hill in Surrey, less than 80 metres above the sea. About 800,000 years ago, the humans came, drove the bears, the boars and the wolves off the hill. And they built cities and redirected rivers, and they chopped down trees by the millions. But they kept most of the ones on the small hill, which they called St George's Hill. You see, in a period of time that means nothing to the spiralling rings on an old oak, but that we call the Middle Ages, the humans started calling the surrounding place England. And in England, every piece of land was said to be owned by one of a small group among the humans there, called the nobles. And all the rest of the humans, which were called the peasants, had to pay the nobles to live on the land, with food or with metal or with toil, which is another thing the humans invented. The one exception to this rule was the common land. This was usually land that the nobles didn't value highly. Moors, swamps, tundras and small, small hills in Surrey. So they let the peasants use it for free. They could chop branches for firewood, forage for wild plants and bring animals there to graze. But two things they forbade the peasants from doing were building houses and digging up the soil. This, the nobles thought, would make it look like the peasants owned the place and not them. The common land was hard to live on, not for a muntjac deer or a fringed earth star mushroom, but for the humans. But at least there was a lot of it, about a quarter of all the land in England, and many peasants found a way to live at its edges. But then a great change came over the humans. The nobles decided they wanted this quarter all to themselves as well, and they started to write laws on pieces of paper called enclosure acts that they said gave them the right to drive the peasants off the common land. And bit by bit, the peasants were driven. They roamed the earth in great numbers, vagabonds and tinkers and poachers and preachers. The bonds that tied the people to the land were cut, and even the nobles fought amongst each other, dragging the peasants with them over the damp fields to cut each other down and soak the grass with their blood. It was a war that would not have any name to a natterjack toad, but that the humans would call the English Civil War. And the biggest of all the nobles, King Charles I, was cut down like a grain of wheat in front of a wailing crowd. And the smallest hill in Surrey, which was still common land, but was also the king's land, well, no one could say for certain who owned it anymore. So in the spring of that year when they cut the king down, on a day that would have no number to a tree sparrow, but which the humans call April the 1st, 1649, some peasants came to St George's Hill and they started to dig. One of them was called Gerard Winstanley. He was a cloth worker who had lost all his money to the great change, who was now roaming the lands with the dispossessed and the outraged. He met bands of peasants who had many new ideas about who should run the land and how they should do it. Anabaptists and familists, seekers and ranters, levelers and quakers, fifth monarchists and Grindletonians. Gerard was none of these. All he knew was that he had had a vision in the town next to the hill where God had placed him in a trance and left him with a simple instruction. Work together, eat together. And so they climbed the hill 
Gerard and a handful of his friends, and they began to dig. And then a few more people joined them, and then a few more after that. And then there were around a hundred of them, up on St George's Hill digging. They laid manure over eleven acres of the slope, so the rough soil would become richer. And they planted carrots, parsnips and beans. And in a time when food prices were rising and rising, anyone could come and eat with them for free, as long as they helped with the work. There were horses and cows, and six houses were built. Even though it wasn't their land, the local nobles were furious at this. If these peasants could treat this land like their own, what if all the peasants started doing the same thing everywhere? They wrote to their leaders in London, demanding that these peasants be removed from the hill. Three weeks after he and his friends had started digging and sowing and building, a noble called General Fairfax summoned Gerard to London. He expected Gerard to quake in fear on arrival, but he wouldn't even take off his hat to Fairfax, a traditional mark of respect to the nobles at the time. After all, he said, he was just a fellow creature. Gerard tried to explain what they were doing, that land ownership was a lie, a thing that humans had made up to steal from each other, that the nobles who claimed that God had given them the land were just the descendants of the nobles who took it by force from other nobles in 1066, that God made the earth as a shared treasury for all humans, and they were all as equal in his eyes as they were in the eye of a red squirrel that he and his friends' hearts were full of love. And even if they only had a plate of roots and a hunk of bread to eat at the end of each day, at least none of them would ever have to wander the earth begging again. It's doubtful that Fairfax agreed with most of this, but the war was still raging, and a few peasants farming a dead king's lands was the least of his problems. So the army didn't march on St George's Hill that year. The peasants on the hill who people were calling the diggers, set up a printing press in one of the houses. From here came a torrent of pamphlets from Gerard's tireless, restless mind. This was in a short and unique time in the history of the humans of England, when there was no censorship, and so no one could order the destruction of these pamphlets before they worked their way around the land. And when they read them, the peasants started digging up the common land on other hills and fields and valleys, in Northamptonshire, in Kent, in Barnet, in Enfield, in Dunstable, in Bosworth, even in Nottinghamshire. Though life was much the same for a rose chafer beetle. For the humans, it seemed like anything, like everything, could change. The nobles around St George's Hill would not let the diggers be. If Fairfax wouldn't get rid of them, then they would do it themselves, or rather, they would pay people to do it for them. In the summer that followed the spring of that year, the hired men of the nobles marched on that hill. They trampled the crops, they burned the houses, they maimed the horses, they drove the cows away, they stole food and clothes, they beat adults and children alike with clubs and hauled them into jail cells in the nearby towns. The diggers tried to hang on as long as they could. But by the next spring, there were none left on that hill or anywhere else in England. And the hill was taken by the nobles with an enclosure act, 
like almost all the rest of the common land. And the new king replaced the dead one. And most people tried to pretend that nothing had changed. And centuries passed, which is the blink of an eye to a limestone boulder, but a long time for humans. And they gave the peasants and the nobles different names, but one group still claim they own the land and one still pay to live on it, so they're much the same, really. And the next time humans dug the soil on St. George's Hill, they were working for a developer for whom they cut down the pine trees and the rhododendron bushes and put in trimmed lawns and tarmac driveways. And today, it's a gated community and golf course where houses sell for between four and 20 million pounds. A man named John Lennon lived there once and wrote a song where he told us to imagine no possessions. Once there was a hill, and there still is, and will be for a long time. And one day, there will be no humans on the smallest hill in Surrey. The trees and the bushes will grow back. The beasts and the birds will roam freely over it again. And on that day, at the very latest, there will be no one left to say, this is mine. Fogland Lighthouse is written, produced and scored by me, Jack Dean. This episode is supported by Arts Council England and was commissioned by The Library Presents as part of their autumn season. You can check that out through the links in the liner notes for this episode. The show is presented by Jack Dean and Company. You can find out more about us and our projects at jackdean.co.uk. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or you can email me on jack at jackdean.co.uk. If you get a moment, please leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or share the podcast with someone you think might like it. Those both help an awful lot. I'll catch you guys next week.